All right. You know how it is. You got to fist bump somebody. You know how I roll. You already high-fived them. If you're married and you had a fight, that means you can, yeah, just let them know. All right. All right. How about those Spur kids? They just left again, the Spur student section. Come on. We got to be excited about that. That's awesome. Hey, so hang in here with me today. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. So if it goes a little crazy, I may sit down for a second. So just hang in here with me. It's going to be good. So I just want to tell you that on the front end, and you're going to notice some things. I won't sit in one of those chairs because I don't think I'll fit. So just FYI, we're still going to have fun with that, just so you know. It'll have something to do with the message. But over these last few weeks, or these past few weeks, actually, and over the next few weeks after, we're going to be walking through this series called Seven Cries from the Cross. And now what we're going to do is talk about the seven sayings Jesus had on the cross. And now if you've ever walked through Holy Week before, usually you do that during Holy Week. So we've talked about how Jesus has has talked about being forgiven. We talked about having favor last week. And this week we're going to be talking about this thing called family. This thing called family. Now I shared a little bit about my family last week. And I told you a little bit about me and my family and I, I talked about potato sack, and if you were potato sack, uh, you know that that meant you were going to get run into some walls and have a good time. So sometimes right now I feel like I'm in potato sack. So wasn't that fun getting to learn about each other? So today, as you deal with family and we talk through family, we're going to be looking at this thing that Jesus said on the cross about family. Because in the craziest times and in your worst times, isn't it the family that you rely on? I know that more than ever. Uh, When you're in a rough situation, you rely on your family, right? But in this moment, Jesus showed us how we have a family on the cross and how also important our family is. So if you've got your Bible today, uh, we're going to start in John, but then we're going to end up in Genesis 30. We're going to camp out there. So we're going to start at John 19, and then we're going to end up in Genesis 30. So if you don't have your Bible today, I want to show you how you can follow along with us digitally on your phone, every week we we partner with the Bible app, we create an event, and every week you can follow along with us. So I'm going to show you how you can follow along with us right now. So if you want to go ahead and download the Bible app from your favorite app store, as we like to say each and every week, uh, go ahead and open that up, click on the events tab, and whenever you click on the events tab, you're going to be able to see uh, the Vine TV worship experience. It'll come up in just a second, and today you're going to see family. So if you want to do that, go ahead and open that up. It's going to have a place for you to take notes. It's going to have a place for you to follow along. If you would like a Bible, we have them free for the asking. But more importantly, it's also going to allow you to get our contact information if there's any way that we can serve you. So if you want to go ahead and get there right now, we're going to start in John 19 verses 26 and 27. John 19 verses 26 and 27 as we talk about this thing called family. And it says this, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. Now that's important to me because you remember when Jesus was left behind teaching in the temple and Mary and Joseph had left him, the first thing he said to him was woman. He didn't call her mother. He said woman, Jesus, savagery. He called her woman because he's saying, hey, I'm the son of God and I'm your son, but he reminds her woman and man, right? He says woman. Also, whenever he turned the water into wine, the first thing he said was woman. So I'm wondering if Mary didn't go by mama, she just went by woman. So just FYI, that just always stuck out to me. He says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple he loved, which we know is John, who wrote this gospel, he says to to him, here is your mother. 
From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. So today we're going to be talking about this thing called family. And what's really weird here is you say, well, where is Joseph? Because we see Mary at the cross. We see Mary going around with Jesus during his time with ministry. And you say, where is Joseph? Well, we believe that Joseph actually had died at this time. He was no longer there, uh, believe it or not. He was no longer alive. Uh, We don't have proof of that. We don't have evidence of that. But that's what we believe. And so not only that, at this time, you see only Mary was there, but I don't know if you know this, but Jesus had four brothers and two sisters. None of them believed that he was the Messiah until this moment on the cross, and he resurrects after the cross. So when you talk about family, what's really crazy is sometimes we can say we have a messed up family. How many folks feel like they have a messed up family? 100% participation. How many folks feel they're the reason for the messed up family? I mean, that's me. I'm the baby. Is what it is. So today, like, wouldn't you say that Jesus on the cross, showing us how he's supposed to honor our father and mother, remember, he is the fulfillment of the law, Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. He is dying on the cross. Last week, we talked about how you can have the favor of God because we can be in paradise when he told, told the criminals that, right? He says, Father, Forgive them as well because they know not what they're doing. So he's at the most excruciating moment in his life, and he takes moment to honor his mother and his father. Man, if we could all just be like Jesus, right? I don't know if I'm on the cross that I care about what's happening to me. I just know I'm hurting and I'm in pain. But yet he looks down and says, take care of my mother, John. Take care of my mother. So as we talk about this thing called family, that's what I want to have the lens of today with this cry from the cross is family. We're going to attack it a little different angle as always, but I believe that Jesus has a word for all of us because I know that all of us, number one, are in a family, whether whether we we believe that or not, we're in a family. Uh, Also, I know that every one of us matter to God because right now you have breath in your lungs, eyes to see, ears to hear. You're here right now. You're watching online. God has something for you. And I want you to know today, maybe you feel abandoned by your family, and I want you to know today you do have a family, and I'm going to show you how you have a family today. So I'm excited that Jesus talked about that, and he modeled that cry from the cross for us. So that's where we are with family. We're going to have some good stories. Y'all know I always like telling stories. So we're going to have some good stories here in a minute, but we got to set that up to see. I want to paint that picture that Jesus on the cross in the most excruciating time remembers his family. How crazy is that? Now, did he call his mom out? Did he call John out for being a disciple and deserting him? He didn't. He just said, make sure my mom's taken care care of. And John, now you're an adopted son of my mother. Isn't it it great to know that you got family? Isn't it great? It's just awesome. So anyway, if you got your Bible today, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 30, talking about this thing called family. And we're going to be in the last verse. It's Genesis 30, verse 43. And then we're going to spill over into 31 a little bit. And we're going to talk about this guy that we've talked about before. His name is Jacob. You might remember Jacob. We talked about Jacob and Esau not too long ago. We talked about what soup we drank, right? What kind of soup we drank and how that was in our life. And the things in our soup we were trying to give up for something better. And instead, we should be able to accept Jesus and and walk in all that he made us to be. Well, we're going to pick back up this guy named Jacob. And I don't know if you know Jacob, but... In Hebrews 11, he's listed in the Faith Hall of Fame. He's listed as someone who followed God obediently. But if you really know his story, in the midst of it, he had some struggles. 
So we're going to pick back up. If you remember, anybody remember Jacob's ladder or anything like that? You remember reading that story and how he had the escalator to heaven? Well, this is right after that, right after he's been in Bethel. He's with this guy named Laban, and he finds his wife, right? He finds his wife, and he starts working for him. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 43, and it says this. And this way, the man grew exceedingly prosperous. This is Jacob, and came to own large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Nothing like some camels and donkeys, right? Anybody want to start a farm with that? Llama farms, right? Emu farms, is that what people do now? Right, 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 that's it. So imagine he's got all of these flocks, and Jacob heard Laban's sons, so his brothers-in-law are talking about him and say this. Jacob has taken everything our father owned, and he has gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. So in other words, it's a typical Thanksgiving or a typical Christmas. Somebody's mad at somebody. Something's taking craziness. And oftentimes we can look past the fact that all of us get to gather, right? And so that's where Jacob is right now as he's in this moment. So just a refresher course on Jacob uh, as we go in here, I want to tell you this as we talk about Jacob and a refresher course on him. Number one, and I'm not going to be ashamed of saying this, I'm going to attack a few different levels, and I'm going to talk about these chairs here in just a moment. Uh, but I'm going to attack a few different levels of family. So hang in here with me, and it's going to build upon each other. So the first thing I want to tell you as we get a refresher of Jacob's story, and we're reading Genesis 30 and 31, is I want to tell you this, and I'm not going to be ashamed of this statement, so I just want to get you there, because you all agreed with me at the beginning. All right, if you had a messed up family. The number one thing I want to tell you today about your family is every family is dysfunctional. Congratulations. Welcome to the human race. None of us are perfect. We're a bunch of imperfect beings. It doesn't mean that love isn't found there because you're here. Every family is dysfunctional. Even Jesus' family was dysfunctional. His brothers and sisters had abandoned him. He walked around with 12 guys. One of those betrayed him. His mother was with him. His dad had passed away, and he's on the cross, and he's talking about his family. Well, that's where Jacob is right here. Is he's reminded of his family in this moment. So a little bit about Jacob's dysfunctional family, if you don't remember, Jacob's granddad was Abraham. He was called Abram. God called him out, called him out of Chaldea, said, I will bring you to a place that I have set aside before you. Just listen to me and do what I say. And he loved God so much, he lied to Pharaoh and said his wife was his sister. I don't know if you remember that part of the story, but wasn't that crazy? He kept going through trying to deceive people, kept going through, and then he had a son with his maidservant named Ishmael, Right? And this is, this is Jacob's older brother. So Abraham's track record of deception and dysfunction is a little high, but that's not hereditary, right? Well, so then all of a sudden, <laughs> Jacob's dad, Isaac, is born. Remember, Ishmael was born out of wedlock. Isaac is born. And Isaac should be okay with where Jacob is in this situation, but he's not quite there. And I don't know if you remember Isaac, but he comes out, and he's the one that would have been sacrificed on the hill. A ram was provided. But Isaac had some deceptions, too. And he was so much like his father, he lied about his wife too. So you would say there's a pattern of dysfunction in the family, right? Like uh, sister wives, if you will. Like there's just something crazy going on with these guys. So then Jacob comes along. And I don't know if you remember Jacob's story is Isaac uh, and Rebecca come together. 
and, and they have twins, and their names are Jacob and Esau. We've unpacked their story a little bit, and what ends up happening at the time is Jacob and Esau are born, and God says, I want to tell you this, the older will serve the younger son, which was unheard of at that time. As a matter of fact, we know that God's economy flips things upside down, so when we talk about dysfunction, it's really cool how God works inside of it, is what happens is Jacob and Esau are born, and Esau's born first, and let me tell you how creative everyone is with names. Esau's born first. He's an outdoorsman. He's a hairy guy, and they're so creative with his name. When he comes out, they name him Esau, which means hairy. So creative. Aren't you glad that when you born, somebody didn't come out and name you Alien? Like, because that's what you look like, right? Like, you know, this little thing, like that's, like, that's so beautiful, but yet so different, this poor little thing that you've been praying for and seeing. Like, aren't you glad that? So they named him Harry, which is Esau. But here's the thing about Jacob and Esau is, I don't know if you remember the story, Jacob is holding on to Esau's heel. And the creative name for Jacob, or Jacob, is heel catcher. So his name means heel catcher. So Harry and heel catcher are out and about doing their thing, some great brothers in the family. And they end up growing up, and we talked about what happened there. Is Rebecca overhears Isaac trying to give his blessing to Esau, the older son. But God told him that it wouldn't happen, so they scheme. And remember, Jacob is the guy. He cooks at home. He's good to go. He's kind of the hipster guy. He doesn't do much outdoors. And he tricks Esau into getting his birthright. And he's part of that scheme. And he gets his birthright, but the thing that we pick up here is, I don't know if you know this, but after he stole Esau's birthright, he knew Esau would be mad, so he ran away. He runs away to a foreign land, to a foreign place. As a matter of fact, he goes to this place, and he's running away, and he's so scared that he's considered a fugitive, and then he's in, he's in this place called Bethel. We've heard of Bethel, right? See, that's where Jacob had his dream when he had his head on a rock. He was literally caught between a rock and a rock. He was in such a bad place, he slept on a rock, and he sees God, and he was in a place where he thought God was not there, and God shows up with this escalator back and forth. And so Jacob's dysfunction now seems to be over, right? Because once you're married, because I hear this all the time, once you're married, that other person, you complete me. Like, you complete me, right? Like, you complete me, right? Like, all your dysfunction is over. Does anybody say, is that true or no, welcome to the human race. It just gets more dysfunctional, right? Yet we talk about how dysfunctional our family is, and we leave our family, and we think, well, once I'm out of my family, man, I'm going to get it all together. My dysfunction's not going to follow me wherever I go. I hate to tell you, you are the dysfunction. So until you confront it, yes, it's going to follow you everywhere you go. And so many times, that's kind of like where we are with Jacob, is we're just like him. We try to flee, and we are like two different people. We think, well, what in the world is going on? Like, if I run away from this and I don't confront my problem, then it'll be solved. And so how we try to solve that problem is we get married. That usually doesn't work because that person's not your savior. Or we go buy the car, then it gets old. We go buy the house, then it gets old. We go, we go rob the bank and steal a blessing. Tough crowd. So whatever it is we do, we try to think that we can fill it with something else, right? Like we think that we can flee from our problem and flee from our dysfunction. And we say that if I can just get away from my dysfunctional family, it's going to be okay. How many have lived in that place? I have. The difference is when I lived in that place, I just found I was always on the run. And that's where Jacob is. And he thought, if I marry Laban's daughter, which he got tricked into marrying, by the way, 
the first time he got married. He had to work seven years to get the wife. And uh, old dad-in-law pulls the old trickster and switches wives. So not only has he got a sister-wife situation, now he's literally got sister-wives going on. And dad switches the brides and tricks him and says, hey, I know that you wanted to marry Rachel, but instead of marrying her, you got to work another seven years to get her. Dysfunction on top of dysfunction, on top of dysfunction, on top of dysfunction. But yet, we don't want to be, we don't want to talk about our dysfunction, do we? We don't want to air our dirty laundry. We don't want to confront the problems that are in our life. And yet so many times that's where we are. And so today, what I want to talk to you about that, that cracks me up and that I love with this as we're going through this uh, is this chair. I've got three chairs up here. And if we're like Jacob and we see that every family is dysfunctional, a lot of times we can get stuck in this chair, which is the chair of conflict. The chair of conflict. As we're stuck in the chair of conflict, what will end up happening, and we'll build on these three chairs, and it'll make sense at the end, but the chair of conflict, say that yellow chair is the chair of conflict, we're always on the run. We're at conflict. Those kind of people, I don't need any of that Jesus stuff. I don't care about that Jesus stuff. It doesn't matter to me. It has no bearing on my life. And anytime you do that, you're looking for something that will be perfect. You're looking at something that will fix your dysfunction and I'm telling you right now, you will always be on the run. You will always be in a state of conflict. That's exactly where Jacob found himself. Now all of a sudden, he's at conflict with his father-in-law and his brother searching for him. Isn't that crazy? So as I was thinking through this, I thought of this story when it talks about this dysfunction. And I say, the human race, well, I want to tell you that all of us start right there in that chair. We start in the conflict chair. We start in the dysfunction chair. Because we're born into dysfunction. We don't believe that though, do we? We came out smiling, talking, wiping ourselves. We were potty trained. We had it all together. We were the perfect one, right? But we weren't. We were born into this chair of conflict. And so it made me think uh, of a funny story I heard about the 1900s, just to talk about how different people are and how we are and how we're born in dysfunction. Is During the 1900s, there was a psychologist who, who had a twin. He had two twins, okay? two twins. He had a twin. Twin? Had twins. There we go. It's the flavor favor thing all over again. Just hang in there with me. If you know, you know. If not, check back to last week. Uh, he had twins. And as the twins got older, one was an optimist and could find the good in everything. And one was the pessimist and could only find the bad in everything. And no matter what he did, he tried to, to get the pessimist to be as optimistic as the optimist to have the great outlook on life, right? And so he decided for Christmas one year, Here's what I'm going to do. You know, psychologist, this is how it went. This is what I'm going to do. He went and he bought the pessimist every toy at the toy store. Every toy at the toy store. Every game, everything for Christmas. Put it in his room, said, this is love you, this is from dad, everything's together. He puts it all in his room, and he said, here's what I'm going to do with the optimist. He filled his room full of horse manure. He said, I want to see how they react. I want to see their outlook on life. And so Christmas morning comes, and you would think when he goes to the pessimist's, the pessimist room that they're so excited they got all the toys. Finally, they turned a corner, but instead the pessimist is crying in his room. And he said, what are you crying for? You've got everything you want. He said, look at all these manuals I have to read. These toys are going to break anyway. Why in the world did you give me all of this? And the father says, well, I love you, son. 
I wanted to give you what you deserve. I didn't mean to hurt you, and the son's crying. So then he goes to the optimist room, and he walks and he opens up the optimist room. Now, remember, he gave him all horse manure, and he finds horse manure everywhere. And the, the, the optimist is dancing and playing around, and he says, son, what is going on here? And he's singing songs, and his, the optimist's son says, well, with all of this horse manure, there's bound to be a pony somewhere. I just ain't found it yet. So... <laughs> When we look at our optimist in life or our pessimistic life and we look at where we are in dysfunction, it's really crazy if we have the right outlook and we're no longer stuck in this chair of conflict, how we can be surrounded by horse manure and still see the good in it, right? But instead, we like being in the dysfunction. And I want to tell you right now, so many times the reason we're stuck in this conflict and the reason we're stuck in dysfunction is we let our dysfunction define us. The thing I love about those twins is he was defined about his outlook, and he was so mad that he got everything he wanted and more. He was more mad about reading a manual. That would have probably been me. But he was more mad about reading a manual and everything breaking on him than he was about receiving the gift that his loving father gave him. So today, wherever you are in this dysfunction, I just want to ask you, maybe you're stuck in the chair of conflict. And you're letting this conflict and this function define you because you think if I can just be perfect, everyone will like me, everyone will get along, and it will all come together. And here's what I want to tell you today. None of us have it together. All of us are invalids in God's hospital, and all of us started right here in this chair of conflict. The difference is what we did with it. So my question is today, if you're stuck in this chair of conflict, what is going on in your life? Are you being defined by your dysfunction, or are you trying to run from it? More than likely, you're trying to run from it. And the only way that you can get past it is to confront it, which is what we're going to talk about next. So today, wherever you are, I just want to remind you about the horse manure. Have a great outlook on life. And when you find that pony, man, it's going to be great, right? It's going to be great. Continuing on this story that we're talking about with this guy named Jacob, as it goes on in Genesis 31, verse 3, we're only going to have one verse here. The Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers. Remember, he's on the run from Esau and your relatives. And I will be with you. Number two today as I talk about families that I want to build on. First, every family is dysfunctional. So don't think that you're special. It's okay. Go ahead and accept that. Number two, God can function in our dysfunction. God can function in our dysfunction. And we struggle with that. The reason we stay chucking, stuck in this chair of conflict is we don't think God can use us unless we're perfect, right? Unless we have it all together. Now, what's even funnier is Jacob had just saw God in a dream in the place called Bethel that he anointed in the house of God. We know about Bethel as it's leading up to the cross. We know about Bethlehem, right? We know about Bethel. We know how important it is. And Jacob still, even in his midst, doesn't think God can talk to him because he's stuck in the chair of conflict, he said, God, I'm just a dysfunctional person in a dysfunctional family. There's no way you can use you. But God moves him to this chair, which is the second chair. The second chair we can have in our life. And that's the chair of compromise. The first chair, the first chair in our life is conflict. The second chair is compromise. It's compromise. Because see, God shows up in our dysfunction. God says, hey, I'm going to show you a way to get to me. I'm going to show you a way. I'm the creator of the universe. I will show you a way to get past your dysfunction. 
I will show you a way to get past your dysfunction. And so we have a compromise. And what I mean by that is God in his perfect righteousness comes down, the creator of everything, perfection, stepped down into dysfunction and isn't afraid or hurt by it. But so many times in our life, isn't that what it is? Well, God's not blessing me today because he's mad about what I did. I put horse manure in my brother's room. And I, no, I'm just kidding. I did that, right? He's mad at me today. And we try to run from him in conflict, and all of a sudden, we realize that there was a compromise that was made. But you see, as you notice, there's three chairs up here. That's just the second chair. And so when we talk about this compromise, and we talk about the, the chair the chair of compromise in our life, and we talk about God functioning in our dysfunction, is I want to ask you this if you're trying to be perfect right now. How many perfect people did God ever use? One, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for us. He lived the life we couldn't live, died, died on the cross for us, the death that we deserved, rose again on the third day so that we can have life. But everybody else, pretty dysfunctional and pretty imperfect. And so, so many times in our life, we think we got to have it together, we got to clean ourselves up, or, or else we got to stay on the run because in this town, they know my secrets. They know everything about me. So, I got to go to the next town, I got to go to the next place, I got to do the next thing. This person knows everything about me. So, I got to keep rolling and I just defame everybody on the way as a chair of conflict that I don't realize I got to come to a compromise to understand that I'm dysfunctional and I need something greater in my life to help me with my dysfunction. And who better than the creator of the universe to show me how I can have function, how I can have purpose in my life, than just stay here on the run all the time. So we have to come to this chair of compromise. We're in this place, and here's the thing that can get you stuck in the chair of compromise. There are people that walk the walk and believe when we get to this third chair, and then there are people who just talk the talk. They show up to church every Sunday, they give, they look like they have fruit in their life, they look like they've got it all together, but they're still stuck in this chair of compromise because they think God can't use them, that God doesn't really work in dysfunction, and they realize that he came in dysfunction, but they don't want to do anything with it. As I was getting here thinking through this, one of the things I wrote down that I want to make sure I share with you is, you know, it made me think as, as I was getting ready of this compromise, so many times in my life, I get upset that God is not in the Tyler consultation business, you know? I don't know about you, but insert your name there. I wonder, like, when God blesses people that don't like me and blesses people I don't like, I'm going to be like, God, why'd you do that? Anybody else feel that way? Like, why did you do that? That, that? That's what's happening, like, with Jacob in this story is his brother-in-laws are mad at him. They think he's a schemer. He's already taken two of their sisters. He's stolen all of their flocks. If you really know the story, how it happened, he took all of their flocks. And so they're stuck in a compromise, and Jacob's stuck in a compromise. And yet so many times in our life, we ask God why he didn't consult us. But here's the thing. All we would give is dysfunction. He's the very creator of the universe, and that's why he's God and I'm Tyler. So today, wherever you are in your life, if you're facing conflict and you're running from it, you're going to come to a moment in your life where you, you're going to see there's a compromise. I don't know where it'll be. I don't know when it'll be. For any of you who have followed Jesus, this is the moment where you were getting up to salvation. I'll tell you that right now. But you've had a moment in your life where you've looked at compromise and said, God can work in dysfunction? You mean God can work in me? Because what's happening right here is we think we have to, we think we have, to have it all together so we're on the run. Then we realize that God came down into dysfunction and can work inside of me. And where we can get stuck is we get mad if God blesses other dysfunctional people and don't bless us. Never had to ask our permission for that. And that how we feel in our families? You see the gift they gave me? 
right? They just, they, they don't give like I give, right? I'm guilty. Like, they don't give like I give, right? They don't do what I do. That's what happens inside a family, and that's where quarrels happen. And we think that we can't walk through it, but we got to understand at a moment, there's going to have to be a compromise for our family to work together. And most of the time, it's not the compromise we want. <laughs> most of the time, it's not the compromise we want, right? If you want to see people's real self, go to a wedding and a funeral. You'll see real self, I promise you right now. And so most of the time, the compromise, that chair of compromise inside your family happens in the worst moments, the very best and the very worst. And that's where Jacob is at this moment in time. And so as we were talking about this chair of compromise and we're looking at this dysfunction that are in our life is, I wonder, I wonder where we are and I wonder if we're taking that next step out of conflict into understanding that a compromise was made and a way was made for God to operate inside of us that is dysfunction, but I think where we can get stuck in this chair is so many times in our life, we think we know we're dysfunctional, so we're trying to be perfect. We realize that we're not perfect, and there was a way here, but we're not quite sure how to work through it. God tells Jacob, hey, go back to the land of your fathers, the place where you stole everything. Go back to that place, because I'm going to bless you when you get there. And so we get stuck here because we take knowing that we're dysfunctional and failure as the final word, don't we? We let our dysfunction define us in that moment, and we think failure is our final word, but instead, what I would tell you, as Jacob is right here, we're going to see the growth of Jacob in a second. He goes from this conflict to this compromise, and he learns that failure is not the final word, but learning from my failures in my past is actually how I grow. It's actually how I grow in my life. And if you want to grow as a family, if you want to grow in your walk with Christ, you've got to look back at your past failures and grow from it. Understand you're not defined by it. Understand you're not going to be perfect until Jesus calls you home, but don't live in the fact that you're not perfect and woe is me, guilty. Like, don't live in the fact of this. Because when the world sees this, everyone in the world is born into conflict. We live in the Bible Belt, so we take this for granted, but everyone here has heard of Jesus, we believe, right? Because we're in the Bible Belt. But if you go around the world, it's not that way. So why don't we make a compromise here to say everyone knows that they're dysfunctional and they're missing something. And who better to go to than the very creator of the universe? When I think back of the failures of my life and I think about so many failures, I'm gonna make it as simple as possible. How many folks ever played a sport? Everyone, right? How many did it on Nintendo? You know, you know. So, right, like everybody played a sport. And I remember one of the things I was so afraid of growing up was getting hit by a baseball. I don't know if you're a boy, you have that fear. You have that fear. There's so many fears in life. But getting hit by a baseball. And so how did I get over my fear of getting hit by a baseball? You already know the answer to this. I had to get hit by a baseball, right? And then I learned, don't lean over the plate. Lean back a little bit. How you can, if you get hit by the ball, what that matters, how that hurts, and you got a bruise for it, and you got some, a story to share about it, but you got to learn from your failure. A lot of times, riding a bicycle, you fall off that bicycle, right? You scrape that knee, and it's the end of the world because you're dying because you've got a little drop of blood, right? And when you scrape that knee and you're dying, you realize that once you get fall down, you can get right back up, right? You learn from the failures. So today, I'm just going to ask you, Maybe you're stuck in the chair of compromise, and you understand that you are dysfunctional and that there is something missing, but you just don't know what to do with that something that's missing. Let's go on the story and talk about this third chair here in just a second. 
chapter 31, verse 4 through 9 says this. So Jacob sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out of the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see your father's attitude towards me is not what it was before. But the God of my father has been with me. That's such growth from Jacob, guys. That's such growth. The God of my father has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet, my, yet your father, excuse me, has cheated me by, changes, by changing my wages 10 times. Now, how many of you would work for your employer if they change your wages 10 times? Now, you would say it depends on up or down, right? Now, do you think Jacob would bring this up if his wages had been changed 10 times to the plus side? Pretty sure he wouldn't because we know who Jacob is. In other words, I've worked for, he's, he's telling his wife, I've worked, both of his wives, I have worked and your father has cheated me 10 times in my wages. Crazy thing. Don't you think Jacob's perspective has changed? Because before he was always on the run. Then he met God in a place where he thought he would never meet him, Jacob's ladder, at a place called Bethel. And now all of a sudden he's calling a family meeting together. Instead of just running and expecting everyone else to follow him, he calls a family meeting together. And he says, however, God has not allowed him to harm me. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to the speckled young. And if he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. Genesis 31, 4 through 9. Here's the third point that we'll walk through. See God instead of dysfunction. So we're building on this. Number one, everyone's dysfunctional. Number two, God will operate inside of our dysfunction. And number three, see God instead of the dysfunction. See God instead of our dysfunction. Right here is completely different. Do you think that Rachel and Leah heard from their brothers how ripped off they were? Probably all the time. And they grew up with their brothers a lot more than they grew up with Jacob. They had spent time with Jacob, but I guarantee you they heard from their brothers, you're getting screwed over. Right? And yet he calls a family meeting and says, hey, I know right now you're stuck, and I know right now you're hearing the yeah, yeahs from these people, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. Here's the truth. He goes straight to the source and says, here's the truth. Your father screwed me in wages 10 times. God has still blessed me inside the dysfunction, and this is why we are where we, where we should be. So instead of having this moment where he was on the run again and he was running away constantly, he realized that God had to come down and operate in his dysfunction and he got out of the chair of conflict to the chair of compromise. But after he found out what God told him to do and how God made a way through his dysfunction, he moved to the chair of commitment. He moved to the chair of commitment. He saw God instead of his dysfunction. And what I mean by that is he was committed to do what God was calling him to do instead of just running back home, which you know he encounters his brother Esau, if you've ever heard the story. Instead of running back home, he instead is committed to what God called him to do and being exactly who God called him to be. As a matter of fact, when I look at Jacob, the reason he's in Hebrews 11 is this moment right here, his spiritual growth. He learned from his failure. Because if you remember at the beginning, he schemed to have that blessing taken away. He stuck in conflict constantly, and because he stole the blessing, he, he was on the run. And on the run, he met God in a place he never thought he would meet him, in a place where he didn't think God could get to him. And he realized, he realized from that chair of conf, 
conflict, that there was a chair of compromise there. And he had been walking the walk of knowing who God is and knowing who Yahweh was, but he, or talking the talk, excuse me, but he wasn't walking the walk. Instead, he was on the run, and he ran flat smack dab into God. And then God told him to do something. So Jacob has a choice. Do I step down to this chair of conflict and constantly stay on the run? Do I continue to be defined by my failures and stay in this constant compromise? Do I compromise myself to be not everything God created me to be and just accept my dysfunction and never grow and stay stuck and think my failure has to define me and think that my failure is where it's all going to be and that I'll never be what I was created to be? Or will I make a change and have a commitment in my life and listen to what Jesus has called me to do, but more importantly, do what he says. See, God met Jacob in that moment and says, go back to your father, father's land. I'm going to continue to bless you there. You've seen the blessing inside of dysfunction. Like, remember, I didn't ask you if I was going to bless you. I just blessed you because I'm the father and I love you. And so he blesses Jacob, so in this moment when he saw God instead of his dysfunction, I can see that Jacob was a schemer in the chair of conflict. He was a fugitive on the way to Bethel. He had conflict with Laban, and all of a sudden he calls the family meeting together, and his perspective is different. He sees the same way Joseph saw. When Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God used for good. As a matter of fact, he has the same perspective, and he sees God inside of his dysfunction so much. It's like David on the run in the caves of Adullam where Saul is literally right there, pressing down on him, and yet he was not overtaken. He sees God in the dysfunction. He's like Paul when he's in prison all the way through and singing praises to God for being in prison as manure flows by him, as feces and sewage flow by him. He lifts God's name up in jailers. Jailers, meet Jesus. He sees God in his dysfunction. And so I wonder today if what chair we're in, I wonder where we're at. Like, are we in a chair of conflict? Maybe we just think that we'll find the perfect thing and it'll make us perfect. And it was not the last place we were, so we'll just keep searching and we'll keep wandering. By the way, if you remember, there's somebody in the Bible that does that in that story of Cain and Abel who's always wandering. Will we wander forever outside of being all we were created to be? Or will we realize that we're dysfunctional and we need to find a way and that there's something missing, that there's something that can give us purpose, something that can take our dysfunction and give us function. And then when we hear what we have to do with that, do we trust it enough to do something about it? Do we trust enough to take that step? Will we be committed enough to do it? Because all of us are born here. We have a decision to make here. Here's a lot of talk, but no backup. Here is a lot of walk and a lot of trust. It would have been hard going back to my homeland if I stole everything from them. It'd be like going to the bank you just robbed and saying I'd like a teller position. It'd be a tough place to be, wouldn't it? And you probably let them know during that robbery all about their business, right? And now you're the face of it. And yet so many times in our life, we like to stay stuck in this dysfunction. And we like to sit in one of these three chairs. And so as we were getting ready for this message this week and talking about where we were, I, I, you know my stories, <laughs> my stories. Ran across another story. 
You see, growing up, there was this little boy named Johnny, and his daddy wasn't taking him fishing. It's all right. I'm not going there. But there was this boy named Johnny, and I don't know about you, but I remember growing up when I got to stay at Grandma and Grandpa's, one of the first things I got was a slingshot. As a matter of fact, I still have that slingshot, a slingshot. Now, I'm old, so I don't know what that is nowadays. I've seen bows and arrows. I don't know what else it is. I know my nephew with a bow and arrow. That, that's where that was, and then it steps up to guns, but I don't know where that is. But I remember when I got my slingshot. So little Johnny, he got his slingshot. And I don't know if you know anything about a slingshot, but Grandma and Papa gave him that slingshot. And as he's got that slingshot, what's the first thing you do? You start practicing. And old little Johnny, man, he practiced so hard, and he never hit the target. And he just kept going on and on and on. And one day, Grandma's prized pet duck's out there. So what do you think little Johnny did? Oh, he took aim, didn't he? He took aim, and for the one time not to miss, oh, he found a way. He didn't miss. So little Johnny, he hits Grandma's prize duck, and he's stressing out, and he's stuck, and he's trying to figure out, what in the world do I do? And he sees a woodpile. So Johnny takes the duck, and he goes and hides it in the woodpile. He's crying. He's stressing out, and he's thinking, man, okay, I can deal with this. I've got it. And he looks up, and his sister Sally's standing right there, saw the whole thing saw the whole thing and so he goes in and he's scrubbing up for dishes and and papa comes in and says hey you want to go gigging for frogs tonight but we got to wash the dishes first okay sally you can come with you can come with me and johnny to go do that but we got to wash dishes first and sally says oh johnny said he wanted to wash the dishes and he looks and she looks at him and says remember the duck and so Johnny washes dishes because he remembers the duck. He just doesn't want Sally to tell Grandma and Papa, like, that would just crush them. And he doesn't want to get in trouble, and he's so ashamed, and, and he feels so guilty. But that continues to go on for about a week. And Johnny's so consumed that he's doing his chores and Sally's chores, and he's working so hard to be right and so hard to be perfect that he realized it was time to just confess. And so he's finally broken down, and he confesses to Grandma, and he goes in there, and he's crying and he tells Grandma, Grandma, I killed the Aflac duck. He didn't say that, but the Aflac wasn't there, right? He goes to Grandma, he goes to Grandma and says, Grandma, I killed the duck. I'm so sorry. I can't, I, I, I just, I can't take it anymore. I'm doing all these chores because Sally knows, she saw, and, 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 and I, don't, I don't know what else to do, Grandma. I'm so sorry. And Grandma, with tears streaming down her face, said, I was watching from the kitchen window. And I saw the whole thing. And the moment you did it, I forgave you because I love you and you matter to me. I was just trying to see how long you would be a slave to Sally before you ever really figured it out. <laughs> right? But let me say it this way. How many of us are a slave to our dysfunction? How many of us are a slave to our dysfunction or stuck in these two chairs? Because the dysfunction we're all born in is sin. We're all born into sin. And yet we continue to let our sin define us, and we continue to let it be defined by us, and we think that that's it, that we're sinners and we're bound for hell, there's no hope. Or we think we can figure it all out, and we can be like little Johnny doing all the chores, trying to be perfect, trying to clean ourselves up, and just hope that God the Father doesn't see us. He created us. He sees everything, and yet he still loves us. So he made a way. There was a compromise. He had something come down for us and said, I have a way for you to be able to have a life fulfilled. So he sends his son, his perfect son, his perfect son, much better than that prize duck. And that perfect son came down, and he lived the life we couldn't live, died the death we deserved. But the thing was, we had a choice to make. Because to be truly committed, we've got to confess him as Lord and receive him as Lord of our life. 
problem is, we may not know what chair we sit on. So I'm wondering today, you know, as I talk about family, it's so important, the chair at the table, right? I remember going to that grown-up table and how important that was. Wasn't no different. Uh, how important that was. It was, ju- it was just as messy as the kids, let's be real. But it was important to know I had a chair at the table, right? I want to tell you today, there's a chair at the table for you. You get to choose the one you sit in. It's totally up to you. You were born sitting in a chair. Now what will you do with it? Because today, that dysfunction, I just literally shared the gospel with you, that dysfunction that is sin, you can't run from it. It's part of who you are. There's only one way to get rid of it. And God loved you enough watching from the kitchen window that he made a way. You've got to confess him as Lord of your life and believe he died and rose again on the third day. Or else you'll just continue to stay in dysfunction the rest of your life. The rest of your life. He didn't create you to be in dysfunction. He created you so that you can have function, so that you can have purpose, so that you can have fulfillment. Jesus promised us in John 10, 10, that that's exactly what would happen is he came so that we could have life and have it to the full. The committed chair has a full life, not an easy one, a full one. It wasn't easy for Johnny to come to grandma. So the thing is, I want to ask you, I want to ask you, what chair do you sit in? Because there's a father in heaven right now that loves you enough. He watched from the kitchen window and he says, come just as you are. Come just as you are. It doesn't matter that you were in the chair of conflict at one time. It doesn't matter that maybe you're sitting in this chair of compromise now. It's time for you to step into this chair of commitment. Wherever you are, come just as you are. I'll accept you as you are. I saw what you did from the kitchen window, and I still love you. All you got to do is come to me, and I'll forgive you. You just got to trust me. Do you trust me? Come just as you are. Are you going to continue to stay in this chair? Because I will tell you this. The moments in my life that I, I, I tried to run from, I tried to be perfect, And then I heard what Jesus told me to do and I refused to do it. All I did is bounce back and forth between these chairs. Constantly, constantly bounced, bounced, bounced. When the chair I was trying to sit in the whole time involved a way, and it was the cross. So my question today is what chair do you sit in? What chair do you sit in? Ephesians 2 verse 4 through 8 says it this way. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. And what does that say? And seated us. He seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith that this is not from yourselves, it is of the gift of God. The gift of God. What if I told you today you've got a saved seat? Isn't that so much better than having to find a seat? Whenever you go to a concert, isn't it great having a saved seat? Isn't it great to have a saved seat? Isn't it great to have a good ticket? Isn't it great to have a place that's saved just for you? That someone went before you and, and paid a price and saved a seat? As a matter of fact, it's even better to win free tickets, right? 
We love free tickets, right? Like if somebody gives us a free ticket, it's so exciting. Even if it's in the nosebleeds, we're excited. But here's what I want to tell you today. If you're looking and you're stuck in one of these two chairs, I just want you to look at your ticket. Because this seat was saved for you. You just got to choose to commit to be in it. As a matter of fact, the price has already been paid. That if you look down at that ticket and you look at what's on that ticket, it just says Jesus. Will you just receive it? You've got a saved seat today. You've got a family. No matter where you are, Jesus came to, to, to bring us into a family, to bring us into a relationship with the very creator of the universe and allow us no longer to bounce back and forth in dysfunction, but instead to walk in fullness and freedom from our dysfunction. Not perfect, but forgiven. And so today, as we wrap up and close, I just want to ask you, want to ask you one more time, what chair do you sit in? Because these two chairs, they go together that way. This chair is a front row seat to the best time of your life. Not perfect. Not without dysfunction. But one that has function. And so today, maybe right now you realizing that you are stuck in the chair of conflict and you're for the first time or hearing that Jesus came and made a way for you to no longer be in dysfunction, that you can't clean yourself up. There's no perfect way that you can do this. You may be stuck and thinking that I can't get out of this on my own. And I'm going to say, congratulations, you're absolutely right. Only through Jesus can you get out of this. And for everyone else right now that's hearing that Jesus came for us, I want to ask you, Will you make that commitment today? Will you just receive him? Because all you got to do is look at your ticket. That's it. You don't have to earn your way to it. It's already been paid. You got a front row seat to the best thing ever. And there's no way that you can move up. The only thing you can do is receive. So as we get ready here to close out, I want to ask you today if you've ever given your life to Jesus. You may think because you have a dysfunctional family that you're never good enough, and maybe you think that you have to work through works and, and, and to clean yourself up and to get things right because that's how it was showed in your family. And I want to say all of our families are that way. And so today, in that dysfunction, will you receive Jesus? Will you know? Will you know? Will you know that you know that you know that even in despite of your dysfunction, you've got function? And here's what we're about to do. We're about to say a prayer as a family, and we're going to walk through it together because we believe in family, and we believe that no one prays alone here and that we want to walk with you step by step in whatever season. But what we're going to do in this prayer is literally say, Jesus, I was born a sinner in conflict. I believe you came and compromised coming down into dysfunction for me. You came, lived a life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved for my sin on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead but you made a way so that I could have life and have it to the full. That's it. We just receive it. So as we're closing out with every head bow and every eye closed, I want to ask everyone to repeat after me this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I deserved on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. 
Come take over my life, Jesus. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. And if that's you right now inside of this house, inside, if you're watching online, wherever you are, if you're listening in your car, I'm about to count to three and I'm gonna ask you if you just stepped over from the chair of conflict and compromise to the chair of commitment. Did you do that? If you stepped over, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to respond. Will you respond today? This is your moment. We have people that wanna say welcome to the family. Welcome to the people that don't have it together. Welcome to the people that can only look at Jesus that sees that all of us are dysfunctional and that God came down in our dysfunction and that we see him through our dysfunction and we're not defined by our failure. We're defined by the cross. If that's you today, I'm about to count to three and I'm gonna ask you to respond. One, two, three. If that's you in this house and it's the first time that you've given your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to respond. If you're watching online, there's going to be a hand that raises up. I'm going to ask you to click that. If you're watching on Facebook, comment. If, you're, if you need to talk to someone, email us at hello at divine.tv. Shoot us a text or a phone call, 864-580-6698. Whoever you are, I'm going to ask you today if you stepped into the chair of commitment and realized that you were made for so much more than the failures of your past. As we get ready to worship here, I'm just gonna ask you today, maybe you've made that chair of commitment before and you've sat in that chair of commitment before and you realize that there are areas in your life that you're stuck in the chair of conflict and stuck in the chair of compromise. As we worship, I'm gonna ask you to take that step and whatever Jesus has called you to do today, sit in that chair of commitment and be exactly who he created you to be today. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you that we get to lift your name high. Jesus, there's nothing we did to earn this. There's nothing we did to deserve this. We just got to receive you. You made a way for us when it looked like there was no way. So Jesus, today, I pray that you would remind us of getting to sit in a saved seat, that you would remind us, remind us all the way through that you came for us, that you came for us not to sit in that chair of conflict, not to sit in that chair of compromise because you never created us to compromise who you made us to be, but instead you created us to be committed to live a full life and to give you glory and for our good. And so today, Jesus, I pray that next steps would be taken. I pray that our eyes would be open. I pray that our ears would be open, our hearts would be open, but more importantly, we would move where you call us to move and we would sit and pray where you've called us to be still while you move. Whatever it is, Jesus, I pray with boldness that we would do that. We love you, Lord. We can't believe we get to do this. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
know today uh, as we close out I would always love to be known by someone who sits in a chair of commitment that is a child of God knowing there's a place for me a seat that stayed that I get to sit in and that Jesus died to give it to me and so as a dis as, a, as your dysfunctional pastor is a bunch of dysfunctional not perfect people in our flock I want to ask you today will we continue to see God through our dysfunction Will we continue to show the world the chair of commitment we sit in? When they have conflict and they feel like they're in a constant state of compromise, will we let them see Jesus like never before? Will we sing like we're a child of God? Will we know that we aren't defined by our failure? We aren't defined by our dysfunction, that instead we are defined by the cross. And that through the cross we have redemption. Will we trust that? Will we live that? Or will we continue to stay on the run no one ever seeing, no one ever doing, no one ever feeling, and not face our dysfunction. Church, I know that Jesus is making a way right now that we can show people the seat we sit in. And as a matter of fact, we can show them our ticket that says Jesus, and when they look down at theirs and they see that his name is on it just as well, they just have to receive it. Man, the life change we can be a part of. Man, the difference we can. We have friends and family right now that don't know that they're not sitting in the right seat that don't even realize the tickets in their pocket. It's already been paid for and it's totally free. So church, let's do that this week. Let's live that. And no, we aren't defined by our dysfunction. We're not defined by our past hiccups, mistakes, and failures. But instead, instead, we're defined by Jesus. So as we pray, go ahead and lock it up as we always do here at the end. I'm going to pray that that's how we live today, is defined by Jesus and defined by the cross, not by anything else. So dear Jesus, thank you for this family. Thank you for allowing us to be here, dear Lord. I know right now, many of us remember sitting in that chair of conflict and always on the run from the truth. 
because we forgot that the truth would set us free because honestly, we were afraid of what would happen when we saw the truth. And so when the truth was finally told to us and revealed to us, we sat in a chair of compromise and maybe we thought that we had to clean ourselves up to be a Christian or clean ourselves up to get to God or, or do the right things or say the right things or be the right way and never have a mistake, never have a hiccup and never always be in a place where we have to have it together, Jesus. Maybe we got caught in that and we've forgotten that and we've forgotten being in those two chairs because you've allowed us to sit in the right seat for so long, but sitting in that seat, Jesus, you've called us to take a step. Maybe we've refused to take it. And so today, I pray that the steps that you've called us to take, we would call. I pray that we would see that every person that you put in our path is made in your image and has a place in your family. And if we just show them you, it's up to them what they do if they sit in that chair of commitment. But by all means, we're going to do all we can do to show them how we got to be in that chair. And that's only you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We can't believe we get to do this. Be with us as we go through this week. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have an awesome week. We can't wait to be back with you next week as we continue seven cries from the cross.